0: You have to access different parts of yourself, depending on what kind of set you're on and how big the set is. You are acting, like it's, it's really relying on the acting. There's nothing to hide behind. And so it's a really vulnerable place to be.
1: From Kirkco Media.
0: There's no place like Hollywood.
1: <laughs>
2: welcome to hollywood unscripted i'm jenny curtis and today we are virtually sitting down with an incredible actress anna camp who you have seen in practically everything that's ever been made she is in it all including true blood pitch perfect desperados the lovebirds perfect harmony you've seen her in how i met your mother and the office good girls revolt and a darling indie film called here a while which we'll be talking about today before we jump in with Anna, I would love to introduce my incredible guest co-host, a fantastic actress in her own right, a multi-hyphenate badass, and the producer of Here a While, Deborah Lee Smith. Hi Deb.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Jenny. I am so, so excited to be here with you. Thank you for having me. I'm so
2: excited to have you here because not only are you a producer of Here A While, but also you are a dear friend of mine and I am so glad to have you on the show. First of
1: all, can I say, Jenny, that this is, I listen to a lot of industry podcasts and this is one of my favorites. You do an incredible job and all of the guests that you have are amazing. So I am so excited to talk to Anna today with you. It's going to be wonderful.
2: Tell us a little bit about you as an artist. Who are you? What do you do? What drives your truck? That's not a phrase.
1: (laughs) I like to summarize myself as an actor, a storyteller, and a mental health advocate, because all three of those things are very, very important to me. Mental health in particular, I have a podcast myself called More Than You See where I talk about different resources and and different ways that people can process their own trauma and kind of work through things. And I think that that's one of the gifts of storytelling is that we showcase different aspects of the world and allow our audience to you know, work through things as they process a film. And I think that's what makes me such a good storyteller and what makes me such a good actor. And I just love being able to pull all of those things together. It just makes me such a happy camper.
2: <laughs> and More Than You See is more than a podcast too. There's another platform with it, right? Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah. So we have an Instagram as well as a website. And on the website in particular, We share non-traditional mental health resources. On there, we will discuss books, podcasts, TED Talks, articles, because I think that there's a myriad of things that will help someone through a dark time and it may not just be therapy, it may not just be medication, like there's so many different things that someone can use and so I try to compile all of those things on this website and this is something that has been a project, a little baby project of mine and I am so excited to continue to grow it and I've got a lot of really wonderful things in store for the future, so I'm just really excited to put my energy into that as well.
2: Before she joins us, what is your favorite Anna Camp fact?
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness, that is such a wonderful question. Um, So I think my favorite Anna Camp fact is how much she gets involved in all of the different projects and all of the stories that she tells. She just like has such a wonderful warm heart and really just gives her all and she and I both got a souvenir from this project and I'm really really excited about that so I think we will have to tell that story in the podcast that's gonna be a little teaser well then let's go talk to Anna so we can get the rest of the story yeah
2: Anna Camp, I am so stoked that you're here. I absolutely love your work and I'm really excited to talk to you. So thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk about the film that I love so, so, so dearly and also whatever else we want to talk about. So
2: I'm happy to be here. We want to talk about all of it. (laughs) Great, <laughs> right, me too. I usually start at the beginning, but because we were just before we welcomed you talking about self tapes, mm-hmm. I want to hear about what's up right now in these crazy times. What are you up to? Ooh,
0: well, Deb, yeah, thanks for feeling my pain uh, with the self taping of it all. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting
2: because
0: of the pandemic no in-room auditions anymore. I don't even know if that's happening. I don't know if we're going to get back to that. I have no idea. It's a hard thing to do when you can't get into a room with a director and get like a redirect or just have that one-on-one chemistry to show them that like, I'm a very smart person. I'm a really intelligent actor. But instead you have to submit these like takes of these scenes and that's it. That's all you get. And I was talking with my agent manager the other day. I said, guys, I've been acting professionally since I graduated college and it's been 17 years. And I said, when have I booked a job from a self tape in 17 years? And I have not, Oh. I have not, I have never booked a job from a self tape. And so I just am very frustrated. Like I have a body of work can't people look at that? But no, they they really have to see every single audition and every single actor read. Wow. And it's a struggle for me because I, I just have never booked off of one. And I don't really know what it is I'm doing wrong. It's really, it's hard out there for sure.
1: That must be really hard for you, Anna, because I know obviously that you are often stereotyped as like very specific characters. Mm -hmm. And I think that you are brilliant having worked with you. It's a shame that that's not something that people can necessarily comprehend. And that's why I loved being able to do here a while with you, which we will talk all about.
0: Yes. No, it's true. It's true. It's hard being typecast in, in this business. And it's definitely like those roles are so few and far between for me. And that's why I really want to make sure that, like, we we get this movie out for so many reasons, especially, like, the message that it has. But also, you know, you guys gave me an opportunity that not a lot of people have given me to go outside of my comfort zone and play somebody that people weren't expecting from me. Yeah, yeah. It's just, like, one of these days I'm going to book something. I know it from people seeing the work that I've done. But I know a lot of actors that are having the same frustrations that I am. And it's just... It's a weird world to navigate these days. And I think it's going to be like this for a while now.
2: Yeah. Let's start with here a while since we're, we're there <laughs> here anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So Here a While is this beautiful film, this indie film that you guys did about what is the actual name of the act? The Death with Dignity Act. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would just love to hear your experience with it, Anna. And it is so different from the other roles you've portrayed of this woman who's dying of cancer. I guess start from the beginning. Let's hear about this movie.
0: Okay, sure. Well, Here a While was sent to me through my agents. And they said, we just, you know, read this amazing script. They want to offer it to you. The director, Tim True, wants to sit down with you and talk to you. And at the time, the movie was actually named Anna because that's the mm. character's name as well. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so lovely. <laughs> and I'd be reading a script. I, like, I know that name very well, you know. And I sit down and I probably get my glass of wine or something and I sit on the couch and I start to read it. And usually it takes me maybe a couple of days to get through scripts a lot of the time, because they're just so poorly written that my brain kind of does things and I have to get up and I have to like clean or like take out the puppies or something like that. Mm -hmm. And this, I sat there the whole time and read it, you know, from beginning to end. And at the end was just weeping Mm -hmm. because of the story and how beautifully it was told. And I had never read anything like this. I knew that this is something that existed. I knew the Death of Dignity Act existed, but I didn't really know anything about it. And then I was just so overwhelmed with like, who are these producers and this director that want me <laughs> for this? Like, this is really a gift to be given as an actor. Yeah. And immediately sat down with the director, Tim True, and who was also an actor. And you can tell that he really, was very delicate with the story. And I could tell his plans were where he was like sensitive about it and open and such a wonderful, loving, emotional person that I thought, wow, this this guy, there's no better director for this. I could just tell upon meeting him. And I guess Deb had seen me in a play, which is pretty cool. And Yeah. And then I I called everybody up immediately. And I said, I would like to start shooting this like tomorrow. (laughs) I'm very (laughs) excited. Yeah. So that's how the script came to me. And how I was just very excited.
1: It was such a surreal experience because the script was written in December of the year that we shot it. And then I was called in April. And then we pretty immediately hired a casting director and reached out to Anna probably by May. And then we were shooting in July. Wow! It was the quickest turnaround as far as getting a production started that I had certainly spearheaded or experienced. And just to like give a little bit of color to that, like Anna's performance in this play was mind blowing. And it was so interesting because of course, Anna, I knew your work from Pitch Perfect and from True Blood and from other things but I was taken there on a first date and it was a performance about this woman who ends up going a little bit mad and it was primarily a two-person play. There was some secondary characters, but it was basically just you and your husband who was played by... Tommy Sadowski. Yeah, who was incredible. And both of you just carried this two-and-a-half-hour performance and, you know, we were starting casting at that point. Your name came across the table and I immediately was like y'all, I saw her in a play last night. (laughs) Like, could the universe be telling me anything more? And she was fantastic. We have to offer it to her. It's just so wonderful how these things happen. So Deb, what was the moment that you heard Anna said yes? Oh, gosh, that's such a good question. Joe LaTrulio kind of said yes first. And that's how the script got into UTA was it was kind of handed to him. And um, so it was one of those things where, like, we found out that Joe said yes, and then within a week, we got a call, you know, from our casting director that Anna said yes, and it was like, whoa, this casting stuff is easy. I mean, this was my fourth feature, but I was like, man, this is this is the easiest thing I've ever done. It was wonderful. It's awesome, mm-hmm. Anna.
2: What was the prep like for this role being so uh, heavy? What what did you have to do to get ready?
0: There's a beautiful documentary that was recommended to me called How to Die in Oregon. And I think it won a lot of awards at Sundance years ago. And I remember just sitting down and and watching it. And I watched it, I think, two and a half times and really fell in love with this one woman's story who's no longer with us. Her name was Terry. I believe her name is Terry. She also had colon cancer, which is the same kind of cancer that Anna has in here a while. And I just really studied her and her movements and her breathing and watched how she communicated with her family versus how she communicated with the doctors and nurses. She was kind of with me, actually, a little bit throughout shooting of the film. There's one scene at the end where I'm talking with the doctor and she's like, are you sure you really want to do this? And I remember feeling like Terry's presence with me. And I looked out the window and as I was being asked by the woman playing the doctor, I saw all of these birds just fly. Like we were up on like one of the top Mm. floors of this um, medical building. And I saw all of these birds like fly by the window. And I felt her saying like, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And thank you for getting this story out. I'll never forget that moment acting and feeling that same thing, like synchronicity kind of happened for me, but the documentary was a main thing. And then actually we got to speak with the doctor who helped Terry through making the decision to use the death of the dignity act. I got to zoom with her and talk with the actual doctor from the documentary who had asked her so many questions about what happens physically when you have colon cancer and how that sort of takes over your body and your body, you know, is basically betraying itself. Those are the main things that that I did and and just also thought a lot about what it means to die. I mean, yeah, as an actress and a person, you know, we all know inevitably we will get to this point of death, whether it be from old age or, you know, whatnot. But I did have to come to terms with my own kind of mortality. And it made me ask questions to myself about if I'm happy in my own life if Anna's happy in her own life and things that she would want to accomplish before she dies. I think it opened a lot of things up for me in a really beautiful way and definitely changed me as a person being able to make this movie.
2: That moment with the birds, and I feel like I've had this too, and in like acting, Mm -hmm. it's a spiritual thing when you kind of connect on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Can you put into words more like what that is and why that happens in the arts?
0: Yeah, that's a great, I mean, I can try. (laughs) I don't know how good I'm gonna be able to, to define it, but we all know those times as an artist where you sort of reach this very elevated, connected. Place to something bigger and beyond you and this sort of realm that we're living in. And I think it comes from just letting go of your ego and from being open to everything coming in. And that's a hard thing to do, you know, especially when you've got like cameras all around you or whatnot. It's a very self aware art that we're in as actors but to try to really remove all of that and just be present with who you are and the other person in the scene and sort of let go of all of that other bull crap that we are carrying around with us all the time it's easier said than done but i think that that's how it happens yeah is if you're really open you let go of the self ego Welcome to Life Done Better. Listen to the weekly episodes where supermodel and health coach Jill DeYoung talks to some of the world's most inspiring women in health and wellness. It's the place for all the unicorns who strive to create a life on their own terms. Join us to explore, discover, and create a life done better together. Listen and subscribe from Kurt Co Media, media for your mind.
2: So before you hopped on, I asked Deb what her? And now I can't even remember why you brought it up. If it was my your favorite thing about Anna or just your favorite Ooh. thing about ok favorite
1: random <laughs> fact about Anna. Oh, I'm interested. Her favorite thing is the
2: souvenirs that you guys got from here a while, which she teased so eloquently. Mm-hmm. And we would
1: love to hear more about that.
0: <laughs> you mean our little our little hummingbird?
1: Yeah, yeah. I just said the way that you embody characters so fully, and I feel like you just, Pull pieces of your characters into your life in like such a beautiful way, and how it's mm-hmm. so cool that with here a while you actually like pull a piece of the character and physically kept it with you,
0: Uh yeah, that's so nice to say. Thank you for saying and noticing we were trying to come up with Anna, you know, and like what she would wear, and we were thinking maybe she would have some tattoos, and the director was like, Well, you can come up with what you want the tattoos to be and I was like, oh, my gosh, what would it be? what would it be and all of a sudden. I came across like hummingbirds and what they represent and how many are these little magical creatures that sort of like come in and then they vanish really quickly. But they leave this like feeling of of magic and happiness and joy. And I thought that that was what Anna was because she was coming in and, and then like leaving, but hopefully changing her chosen families. Their minds for the better, and, and and leaving this sort of like magical dust or something around after she left. And so the hummingbird became very specific to me. And then they really integrated it in the movie with like her paintings and drawings, and we got the tattoo here. And and I was just wearing it every day on set, and they'd have to redo it and redo it. And it became such a a part of me when I saw, you know, my neck in the mirror every day. It just it felt so right. And it felt like she was like flying with me in a way and that I I wasn't like alone anymore, having this little creature on my neck. And so when it was gone, it felt really lonely. (laughs) Like, like I missed having my little bird friend, my, my Anna, you know, that I had created this character and really gave myself to, I missed it so much that I ended up having to get it. So I got it permanently. And it's like right there. Deb and I were talking and then Deb loved it so much too. And I'm, I know it represents something similar and different to you also, but we ended up getting the same tattoo. So we both have our little hummingbirds with us for forever, which is really cool.
2: Bonded for life. It's amazing how that happens too on sets. When there is a connection, it's a real connection. I don't know how long after wrapping you guys got the tattoos, but that's a commitment for, for new friends to get the same tattoo. <laughs> yeah. It's great.
0: It's so wonderful to know that like, we both had amazing experiences making that movie. And, and also I was going through some personal life changes and shifts too. that the hummingbird started to represent. And I missed Anna, you know, I felt sad when we wrapped the day we wrapped, I had to like, look at the house that we shot in and say goodbye to these rooms that Mm. had these amazing experiences with these other actors. in, and just, I was like, man, like, This is one of the ones, this is one of the jobs that comes along where you're like, man, I'm so thankful and I'll never forget one moment of working on it. And I don't want to forget.
2: Yeah. Do you have a favorite moment in the film? Really
0: good ones. There's like the hardest moment in the film, which I... I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's when she pulls everyone over and recites the poem by Mary Lee Hall after she's taken the medicine. I don't know if it's technically my favorite moment, but I feel like as an actor, it was where I was the most scared to do that scene. Just terrified, like, how can I portray this person who's about to die? I definitely learned a lot from shooting it. Now that I'm thinking about it, my favorite, favorite moment (laughs) was with Joe LaTruilio when we're standing by the window and he offers his support Mm. for the decision of ending my life in this very pure and kind and generous way. And the way that it was shot with just the single shot. I mean, we cut back and forth maybe once or twice, but it's such a poignantly... Written. Joe was incredible in the movie and delivered his lines so effortlessly. And it was wonderful to act with him because I didn't really feel like I was acting anymore. I just felt like we were just two people living in the space, inhabiting these people's lives. That was something that I'll never forget, also.
2: Deb, do you have a favorite moment?
1: I think that one of the things that's so amazing about that scene in particular and what was so incredible about working with Tim as a director was. Tim as a director, as well as myself as a producer, like we really wanted to make sure that this was as a collaborative experience as possible for all of the actors involved. Every day, you and Joe and Steven would sit down with Tim and look at what we were filming that day. And then to have a conversation about what if anything needed to be changed in the script so that it would work the dialogue would work for your characters and i think that that's something that only comes from a place of creativity and collaboration that was so prevalent on this film with tim as a director and being an actor and all that sort of stuff and that scene in particular was a dictionary description that joe and tim found together that's not the way that it was in the original script and it was just through a conversation Whatever was written there before just wasn't exactly working. And they came up with that together. And I think that was just so wonderful to have that, because that is not normal, unfortunately.
2: The very first time we see Anna in the film, where it's just this long shot on you hearing the news and we don't hear what's being said. We're just watching your reaction. And I was like, Oh, oh, this is a good film.
1: <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh damn I love that I love that scene yeah I am very proud of how that film came together sometimes indie films can over color things in like try to push a story and I feel like with this one we really just tried to strip that back and allow the performances to shine as much as possible to not add too much Mm -hmm. extra pizzazz because it didn't need it you guys were brilliant
0: funny thing about that opening shot, that was the shot that I wrapped
1: on. Really? That was my last shot. Yep. Wow. So
0: the entire journey of shooting that movie and going through everything and saying goodbye to Anna is interestingly the very first shot of the movie. So I find that to be pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Did that help with that shot, having the whole movie in there as you said goodbye?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, 100% just the person that I had created over the last like I forget how long we shut the movie for but I had created this person and been living this person's life you know every day and it already you know had the the death scene and and all of that and then to go back it was very full inside I will say definitely mm. it actually wasn't even supposed to be the opening shot which is pretty cool it was like placed there and I think it was placed there perfectly because you're like not the only person that has said wow that opening is really powerful and it sets you up for what you're about to watch in a really strong way
2: wow good job y'all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you Do you have other roles where you've had to work on physicality this way, or was this also kind of a new experience?
0: Nothing like this. I always end up finding myself developing little affectations for, for the people, you know, like, I'm sure people might have seen the Pitch Perfect movies, right? And my character has anxiety and she has to, like, projectile vomit sometimes. <laughs> so there were times in that movie where, where I didn't even realize this, but the director would come up to me and he'd be like, I love what you're doing with the way that you're, like, holding your stomach. And I would be like, oh, my God, I didn't even realize that I was, like, doing that. So occasionally these things will just sort of like pop up and, and sometimes I don't even want to be aware of it. Like I was just shooting a movie in Oklahoma about something really important as well. And the director came up to me and he was going to tell me and I said, no, 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 don't, don't tell me, don't tell me. I just want to do it. If you want to tell me after we wrap, you're more than welcome to, but I'd rather just, yeah, not know, but nothing like Anna in here a while to have to think about. my you know my lower abdomen and and everything that happens to you when you get sick like that i mean that was a totally different
2: thing but you also like had this way of playing her where there was nothing tragic in it it was just like so beautifully peaceful and like it it was comforting almost the whole time and and i guess i'd love to hear more about like if that was just your innate response to the character or if that was an active decision How did you get there?
0: I love that you felt that way. I wanted everything, every choice, every conversation, every hand gesture, every connection with another actor, even with like a pencil while I'm writing. I wanted it to be out of kindness and out of love because I think that Anna, or at least I had made the decision that Anna never wanted this action to be selfish She never wanted her brother to think that it was selfish. And there's a great scene where they have a little bit of an argument about that. I wanted her to kind of build this very selfless, kind bridge out of love in every scene in order to get her friends and family to accept her decision. Mm -hmm. At the start of the film, she's already made that decision. So now it was about going back and getting her brother to support her decision and to do that out of love and kindness i think was the only way that she could i don't know if she knew he was going to be so resistant to it at the beginning but her nature was to do things out of love and out of kindness and so i really wanted that to to inhabit every scene of the film because when you're saying goodbye to these people too and you know you only have a limited amount of time with them Or with the world that you're in, like the tree or the, I don't know, your soup or the teddy bear. Like you only have such limited time. Why not have it with grace and and dignity and love and every little movement you do, you know, have that be a part of it.
2: I want to go back then and look back on how we got here and starting from you have wanted to act since you were a child and you went to North Carolina School of the Arts. I'd love to hear about that path and mm-hmm. your way to becoming a professional actor.
0: Oh man, I'm getting up there. <laughs> I was just talking about 17 years of being professional. See, I have known that I've wanted to be an actor since like second grade. It's something that I've really wanted to do. My sister's also an actress. And she was the one that of like watching all of these old movies when I was really little. She's seven years older than I am. And she would pull me into the room and watch like Laurence Olivier and Vivian Leigh and all of these amazing old movies that I was like very young to be watching and I just remember being mesmerized by what is this acting thing like what are these movie stars you know and how cool it was and, and stuff like that and then my parents got me into acting class when really young and I just fell in love with it and just couldn't do anything else I wasn't really popular in school. I didn't really have many friends. I was kind of shy. I didn't really talk to a lot of people, but I found my crew, like minded people and in, in the actors. So it was like where I just gravitated and and wanted to go to New York really early, but my parents would not let me. So I was really upset about that. <laughs> and they said, you have to go to college and you have to get a degree. And I said, well, if I have to do that, then I have to go to an acting school And luckily I got in and yeah. One of the
2: best acting schools out there. No big deal.
0: (laughs) North Carolina School of the Arts, yes, is, I mean, my God, I would not be where I am today without that training. I mean, the teachers there are just absolutely incredible and it, it is a conservatory school. So we are like, it's focused. Yeah. It's focused on the classics. It's focused on voice and breathing technique and just character work, a lot of character study and text work, just amazing professors that I like owe everything to. And then, yeah, went to New York and lived in Washington Heights. I was like living up with four roommates, like up on the upper, 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 upper (laughs) West side. (laughs) <laughs> for a while and just auditioning my butt off, changing clothes in Starbucks bathrooms and, yes. and like, trying to hustle. And I was like a dental hygienist assistant for a while in Queens. I lived in Queens also. And then I, thank goodness, started booking a lot of theater work mm-hmm. and each theater job that I got led me, like each job that I've had, I can trace it back it's all led me to where I am yeah. today. It's pretty cool.
2: Well, because you got True Blood because Alan Ball saw you on stage, right? He saw me in Equus. Yeah. He saw you in Equus. He did. Can we talk about Equus for a minute? Because what a crazy show to have to do.
0: Wow. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. <laughs> if I can be totally honest, I didn't want to do it. I, I remember I was my my agents got me in the audition. And they were like, you have to be totally nude for this and I remember thinking well I don't want to do that (laughs) like I'm not one to walk around the gym naked and be like hey you know like yeah whatever like not at all so I thought well I'll just audition and then if I get it then I'll have to make the decision you know so I auditioned and then it went really well. And I was like, oh no, oh no. And then I had a call back, and then that went really well. And I was like, oh no, no, why? And then I remember being on the train above ground in Queens on my way back to my little apartment. And my agent called and said, You booked oh, it. You booked it. You're going to be on Broadway opposite Daniel Radcliffe and Richard Griffiths. And I hung up the phone and I just tried to cry. Oh no. Oh no! <laughs> like, how am I going to do this? Not for a good reason. I was not crying for a good reason. Yeah. I was like, oh, God. But then I thought, well, you're scared, Anna. You're really scared. Do it. Yeah. Do it.
1: Can I just point out that like that was such a like pivoting point in your career and you were scared? And mm-hmm. same thing with... I mean, here a while and Anna and like that character and the fear there, it just means that there are so many amazing projects that are coming your way because Mm -hmm. of, you know, your brilliant performances. So I'm putting that out there.
0: Put it out, manifest. Let's manifest together. I, I hope you're right because once you've been given these benchmarks of being scared and you've given these opportunities it's hard to go backwards. Mm. So if I get something that I'm like, man, I could do that in my sleep, play this type A, I like creatively don't even know if I can do those anymore because of these awesome, scary challenges that I've gotten. Yeah, My soul wants to go that way instead of sit in that little, like sometimes I feel like I can't even like do it. These little, these, these roles that like Years ago, I would have been jumping up and down to get. Yeah. Now I'm just like, but my my soul wants more.
2: (laughs) Were you scared before True Blood?
0: That was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get on set with these people. And like Alan Ball, who had obviously written American Beauty, which was one of my favorite movies in college. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to like meet Alan Ball. You know, this is wild. And I had to leave a couple shows of Equus to go shoot the first few episodes of True Blood. So I had to like ask everyone if I could leave and get my understudy to come in. And like, she was also having to be naked. And so it was like a whole thing to like prepare Daniel to act with her. It was like a lot. And they let me go and do like the first two episodes of season two of True Blood, I guess. My only fear in that was, I was like, how much sex are they going to make me do? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> You know, like, oh God, please God, but I definitely did have to do some some of that crazy stuff, but I remember holding my own, I said, listen, I will either be clothed and have like crazy sex, but I will not be unclothed and have crazy sex because that to me is porn and I did not sign up to do that <laughs> <laughs> And they were respectful.
2: It's funny because we had actually, we had Alan Ball on the show last year and we had uh, Joe Manganello on the show last year. And separately, I just asked them, you know, like, what is True Blood to you? And it's like, yeah, it's, it's amazing theater actors all getting together and having sex. <laughs> A little bit. And doing crazy things. And separately, they had both said the craziest moment in the show for them was this moment where one of the vampires is having sex and they like flip her head all the way around or something Mm -hmm. nuts (laughs) you were not in that scene what was the craziest moment in true blood for you (laughs)
0: oh my gosh this is very easy to answer the craziest moment for me was when I killed the woman with the high heel yeah (laughs) I mean they build an entire thing where I'm like running around this like giant thing like that they built in a studio and I was like how am I gonna do this and we would switch out the actress with like a fake head and it had like a blood trigger in it and I'd have to hit it in the right spot to get like the blood to squirt out and I remember shooting that over the course of that whole sequence for like three days oh wow it was was, True blood, they really took their time on that show and they had a lot of angles. We'd always make fun of like the show because we'd be like, Are we gonna shoot like a camera in between our legs and like one up here and like one or, there's one in my armpit? You know what I mean? There are like so many shots from that show, but my gosh, it was, that was the craziest scene for me, at
2: least. When you came on for season two, did you ever expect that you would be like such a linchpin character in the final season?
0: No way. Not at all. I had no idea. I was always really sad when I had to, like when I left, because I like, I loved Sarah Newland so much. And I grew up in the South and I know those women, you know, who talk like this and they have like the whole thing. And so it was a real, like, yummy role for me to play but i had no idea that ultimately i had the last spoken line of the entire series of true blood yeah which is really crazy to me to think that like i turned out to be this villain i did not see it coming at all
2: and then poor sarah gets tortured for the rest of forever basically that's nice (laughs) (laughs) that's nice she doesn't deserve it She's still
0: down there. She's still down there in the dungeon of Fangtasia. She's still giving out the cure from her blood, probably.
1: Hi, I'm Robert Ross, host of Cars That Matter. You might be wondering what makes a car matter, and I have a feeling you already know the answer. Some cars have changed history. Some you can hear a mile away. Some have lines that make your heart skip a beat. If a car has ever made you look twice, then I think you know the ones that matter. Join me as I speak with designers, collectors, and market experts about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. Cars That Matter, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: We have to talk about Pitch Perfect just because it's Pitch Perfect. My God, what a franchise to be a part of. How fun was that? Mm -hmm. I heard you say that the first one was almost treated like an indie film because nobody knew where it was going. What was the progression across the three movies? How was it going from like this movie that I guess was more of an indie for you guys to the massive franchise that it became?
0: It was a wild ride to be sure. Um, the first one was, you know, we didn't have stand-ins you know, while they're <laughs> setting up the lights and stuff. They have like these amazing people come in and like get lit for you. And everything. Like we were doing all of it. So we were not really getting breaks you know we were just like these actors that like some people had heard of but you know not really and just working incredibly long hours and and just being like is this funny like we don't know like is this like i'm throwing up in this and like we're singing a cappella and like there's like crazy burritos being thrown at like people and like there's like a rip off like what is this like is this funny and I remember we were all sitting around like on set the first one being like is this gonna get like a Razzi? Like, yeah we don't know like what's what's happening at all here and then <laughs> it came out and apparently people were really responsive to it I didn't know that Aka uh, excuse me I didn't know if that was gonna work or not that joke I remember thinking like, excuse me, like, is that like a thing that like, is like, are people going to think that that's like the lamest thing that they've ever seen? Like what's happening? But then you get stuff and people are like, oh, there's t-shirts that say, excuse me on it. Whoa, kind of a mind blowing thing. I have no idea. I mean, I just like auditioned for that movie. Like I had to sing a song on a ukulele. I was in New York doing a play and then during the play, I had to play a song on a ukulele and I went into an audition room with the casting director and I sang my ukulele song and they were, they were like, they like you, they want to call back with you. And I said, oh my God, well, I'm going to fly to California because I want to be in the room because, you know, my self-tape my self tape <laughs> track record is no bueno. So I was like, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to go in the room with Elizabeth Banks and Max Handelman and the director I went there and I did my little audition, sang my ukulele song and then got on the plane and then landed back in New York and then got the call saying I booked it then, which was pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. And then a couple more movies followed. And I, the craziest thing is going from the first film where it's just indie budget feeling I'm sure it was bigger than that because it was universal but it definitely felt like that a little bit definitely more money than here a while <laughs> definitely a little bit more than here a while. <laughs> and then they'll go into this like huge thing where like there's assistance upon assistance upon assistance and hair extensions that are just flying out of the trailer you know what I mean and eyelash things going on and you're like what is this like what is this crazy thing that this is turned into we had no idea that it was going to be what it was. But I I think when we shot the first one, the cast was like, this is something like this might be a little, this could be either really bad or really good. You know?
1: Yeah. I'm curious, because obviously, you've done such a range in budget size. And I'm curious, I mean, you said earlier about
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How a smaller film like Here A while where you're really able to connect with the actor, because I mean, we only had one camera. Mm-hmm. I was your stand in, you know, like it was just like, isn't it like the most minimal amount of crew possible? Mm-hmm. And we really tried to, you know, respect your space and clear clear out space, you know, when you were doing intimate scenes and stuff like that. But what is the difference as an actor performing for such an indie level versus. True blood or perfect harmony, or something like that, where there's just, you know, hundreds of crew members.
0: It is totally different. The level of intimacy that we achieved on Here A While is so rare and it was so wonderful. Like, I can just close my eyes right now and think about what it was like walking to set or going to set, like in the house. And there was only a handful of people around and it felt very safe and it felt very, loving and controlled and contained. And then when you go to something like Pitch Perfect, like the the third one, I mean, there's like hundreds of people around. And then there's also Video Village that has like a huge tent over it. And there's like so many people in there, people from Universal, people from the hair and makeup department. I mean, it was just like these tents of people just staring and then like judging you and you feel a lot of scrutiny on films like that. On Hero While, it was just really liberating to have such an intimate atmosphere to work in. You have to access different parts of yourself depending on what kind of set you're on and how big the set is. There's a lot of pressure on both in different ways because in Hero While, like you are acting. Like it's it's really relying on the acting of, of like there's nothing to hide behind. Like there's no extensions, there's no dance moves, crazy music, weird camera cuts. You know what I mean? There's, there's none of that. And so it's a really vulnerable place to be. So I personally like indie film sets more. It's just because I, I like want to connect to the other actors so much.
2: Talking about types of sets, you've also guested on some Unbelievable projects like The Office and How I Met Your Mother and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Mad Men and all of these like staples in our modern entertainment. Mm -hmm. What is it like stepping into someone else's world that's so well established? What is that experience?
0: When I first was guesting on like Mad Men or How I Met Your Mother or The Office, you know, I at least am very cognizant that this is not my home. And this is like not my family and I'm going to like go in and I'm going to like do my job and I'm going to like not really leave anything messed up. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to touch crafty, like I'm just going (laughs) to like be here, you know, like I barely used to talk to the other actors, you know, I, I would just sit in my chair and like do where I was supposed to be and, and all of that. And, And it's such a respect I had for their show and not wanting to like cross any lines that I was not you know, I was also, like, very young and and green and didn't want to, like, ruffle any feathers and stuff. I think now, if I went back and guessed it, I would have a little bit more, like, oh, like, I can talk to these people, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, like, a freshman in high school anymore where I, like, couldn't talk to the senior girls or the senior boys, but that's how I was, you know, just, like, terribly. And the day before, like, the first day of shooting, like, like the first day of school you know I like couldn't sleep I'd be like are they gonna like me do I suck am I like a big nerd like all of those feelings and I think now if I went back I'd be a little bit like oh hey like I'd be a little more talkative <laughs> but I'm sure if you went back and you like asked John Ham like what I said to him, like, ever when I wasn't shooting, he'd be like, nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just like, straight A student, like, don't look at me, don't look at me. And then like, they'd action and I'd be like, acting. You know <laughs> Like, that kind of thing. Just terrified. Just terrified,
2: really. When did you start to feel that change then?
0: I mean, not until pretty recently, to be honest. When I, like, got my first lead on a TV show that went to series even though it got canceled after one season I started to feel like oh I'm yeah I'm like worthy (laughs) like I'm like like a worthy actor like when I did Good Girls Revolt and you know I was like a lead for the first time and
2: I love that show
0: oh thanks I love that show too I'm so sad I'm still so sad that it got canceled but after that I started to feel like oh I'm a worthy person like I'm I've had a leading role in something that like was promoted and, you know, was critically acclaimed, even though it got canceled. And that's kind of when it started to shift.
2: Do you think that it was the fact that it was promoted and all of that? Or is there a different energy or the way people approach you on set when you are a series regular?
0: There's a different energy for sure. There shouldn't be. I mean, I think that everybody should be treated like incredibly equally on sets. But that was the first time on a TV series that I was treated like I was offered that role. And I was like, oh, well, that's nice. Like, I don't have to self-tape for like a leading role of an Amazon series. Like, wow, that's pretty cool. And it just felt like people wanted me. They, They wanted what I did as an actor. They thought that what I did and brought to the table was worthwhile. And that, you know, is so hard. It's just so hard to get in this business as an actor. And you start to doubt it. You start to doubt like, is my artistic, like what I do is, people want that? Like, am I worthy of being here? And whenever I got those little wins, like it really stayed with me and I, I didn't take it for granted.
2: Can we talk a little bit about the heartbreak then of like this getting canceled after one season and Perfect Harmony getting canceled. I know that was a big disappointment how do you
1: mm-hmm.
2: how do you pick yourself up and move on after that because they were great shows and are you kind of feeling left feeling like what do i even do here
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> i am i mean i loved both of those i loved them with my whole heart and i poured in everything and worked long hours on both of those and then you're like man like you know i don't think nbc was fully they were, they started to be behind Perfect Harmony, but then we were up against Thursday night football, you know? And so like our ratings were in the toilet and it just was real. It's scary when you get canceled and you're a lead because you're like, oh man, does this now mean that I'm not proven, you know? That I'm not proven to draw numbers and ratings in and will will I get cast again? And it's it's so, it's scary for sure. I'm scared now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm really hopeful that, like, I will continue to work. But I do know that I'm, like, a really professional person to work with. And I'm I'm a talented person to work with. And I've been proven and, and stuff. But there's a doubt of, like, you know, are they not going to hire me now? Because they got canceled. I don't know. I don't know.
2: Is there something you do to take care of yourself in that in that emotional respect and, and give yourself the courage to keep going?
0: Yeah, this is not healthy. I was drinking rosé all the time. <laughs> rosé all day. No, not all the time. Rosé all day, everybody. I mean, communicating, I think, with other actors is something. And and actors on every level go through this. Like I, I, It feels so singular sometimes that it's just happening to me, but it's not. And it's happened to a lot of other people. And friends of mine who have had the same thing happen or even you know Bradley Whitford has has told me like on Perfect Harmony he was like oh these shows these shows these shows they'll come and go they'll come and go it's like always what happens and just realizing that people at every level experience the same kind of doubt the good actors experience the doubt it's the ones that think that they all have it all under control and like it'll all be great those are the ones that like you don't I'd rather be friends with people who have have questions and doubts about it always.
2: (laughs) Yeah. If you were to look back at your career, is there a moment you can point to that you're most proud of?
0: Hmm. Most proud of? Well, I think the scene in here a while, I think the scene, the death scene is something that I'm one of the most proud to have been focused on the actual scene at hand, but also sort of let myself go into some sort of realm of, like, I'm about to die, you know, place, like, chemically and physically, like, you're, as an actor, you're, you trick your body into feeling like you're actually going to die, and I remember feeling very faint, and dizzy, and shaky after shooting that scene, but also juggling, as an actor, like, the things that I wanted to get across in the scene, so it's, like, you kind of like, or you're working on m- multiple layers and, and facets as a human. And I think that that's one of the, the times that I'm like, oh, wow, like you, you kind of like you said all of the lines, <laughs> right? You said all the lines that were there. And you also were physically in the space that you needed to be in. And you were still being kind to each of these actors and making them feel loved. That, that's the scene that I am really proud of, for sure.
2: Deb mentioned to me the other day that you're moving into producing. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I Well, there was this one TV show that I was like really excited about and that we sold to IFC in the room, which was really exciting, but I guess they're not doing scripted content anymore. So we kind of got, I know it was terrible. It was okay. It was, I'm just going to like talk about it for a second. It was called work it out. And it was basically Mm -hmm. the breaking bad of aerobics set in 1994. (laughs) It was like everything. I would play this really kind of down and out Southern girl living in Myrtle Beach that like comes from nothing. And she's working at like this little aerobic studio at a strip mall. And at the end of the series, you know, you would see her, she'd be like the next Jane Fonda, you know, or Tracy Anderson and like what it takes to have your own aerobic empire. And she murders people along the way. Sure, you know, why what? not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were really excited about that. And then we tried to resell it after IFC basically said they can't do scripted anymore. And we we did not resell it. And that was really heartbreaking. But the script is still there and I'm not aging out of it. So that's good. But also, yeah, I'm producing a movie, a really crazy, cool, dysfunctional family thriller. It's based on a book by Warren Adler, who wrote The War of the Roses, which turned into a movie later with Michael Douglas. We just got our script, finally. We went through four drafts with different writers, finally landed on like this incredible writer, and we got an incredible draft. And so now we're getting the lookbook together and we're going to go out and start pitching it and look, looking for financing. So it's exciting to sort of not be waiting by the phone all the time as an actor.
2: Is that what the motivation is to move into producing? It's just taking your own agency?
0: Absolutely. There's something that can feel so helpless as an actor just to be dependent on other people to get you work. And I'm just like, well, I mean, there if you look around, like people are like finding books and finding material, and even if they don't have a lot of money, they're going and they're shooting, you know, in the desert somewhere at a little cabin with like two actors. You know what I mean? Like things are happening, and if if you're not proactive, it can start to feel a little hopeless. And this has just been really helpful throughout quarantine to be able to like do script notes and and script passes, and you know talk about casting and and just. Just delve into that has been really, it's new territory for me, but I'm also feeling empowered by it.
2: Do you think that you're more ready for it because of acting? Like you have a different perspective that brings a new angle?
0: I think so. I I definitely know what stories that I want to tell as an actress and and what roles for like women that are I find more complex. You know, I don't necessarily always read the most complex roles <laughs> out there for for actors and so it's like it can either frustrate you to the point where you're like i give up or you're like no i'm gonna like make one i'm gonna make a a cool wonderful complex female to play now it's just about finding that money
1: <laughs> yay
0: <laughs> Yay! love that
1: <laughs> any anyway, is there anything you want to talk about anything else you want to talk about
0: Bringing it back to to here a while, I don't think I've ever known this. Like, what attracted you to to the script and to the Death of Dignity Act? And like, were you in, like, how was that all sort of involved?
1: Yeah. Can I just say that one of the I think one of the reasons why this film was so special to me was you as a person and also the parallels in our lives, what we were going through, as well as just even you describing reading the script was very similar for me. I remember that I got a call from the director, Tim True. I was walking my dog and he was like, hi, my name is Tim. I heard about you from so-and-so and and I am looking for an LA-based producer who was shot in Portland before. And I was like, okay, hi, nice to meet you. And of course, you know, I'm an actor, but a producer and I get calls all the time from random people. And so it was definitely one of those like, <laughs> sure, you can send me a script. Who knows if it will be good or not? And so he pitched it to me and then said, "I'm can I send you a script? He said, yes. And I immediately went home, started reading it and could not put it down. And it was one of those things where at the end of it, I was crying. I remember at our table read that we did in LA, I mean, that experience as well was like so special because I mean, that everyone in the room was – it's it's just such a beautifully written story. And so I just knew that I'm so attracted to important stories and important storytelling. And I think that mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I've produced is also not to wait by the phone, but also because – I also want to give life to stories that matter and that that mean something to me and that will give back to the world in some way and I knew that this was one of those stories so it was kind of a no-brainer for me and you know getting you and Joe and Steven on board was just the icing on the cake.
0: You were the best producer. But just incredible. She was just the best.
1: Well, thank you. Thank
2: you. My final question that I always wrap up on is what does it mean to you to have a life in storytelling? I think
0: that I have to do this. I I have to do it. I have to be an actor and a storyteller because it's where I feel like I'm the most connected to me and to the human race. And it's a scary Thing to do because it's not like I'm like a potter and I'm selling pottery. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, it's me here. You know, this is, I'm offering myself and it can be the most rewarding thing in the world when someone sees something that you've done and they come up to you and they're either crying or they're laughing and you feel this type of connection that just makes you feel less alone. And I think I do it for that.
2: Anna, thank you so, so much for joining me today. And Deb, thank you for co-hosting. You're both such incredible powerhouse women. And I just am really grateful we got to have this conversation.
0: It was so nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. It was a
1: pleasure. Girl chat. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hollywood Unscripted was created by Kurt Co Media. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Jenny Curtis, with guest Anna Camp, guest co-host Deborah Lee Smith, edited by Joey Selvia. The Hollywood Unscripted theme song is by Celeste and Eric Dick. Make sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting platform so that you don't miss any episodes of Hollywood Unscripted. As always, stay safe and healthy, and thanks for listening. CritCo Media, media for your mind.